Welcome to the Church 214 podcast. We're glad that you've joined us today. We hope that you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at church214.org. Oh, church, church, do you not just feel it in your soul? It just wants to come out a groan. Do you know that that's biblical? Just It's just that groan. It wants to come out. Even when we don't have words, your body, your soul just says, oh, Lord, I have to sing to you. Church, I want to read something to you. We've been in the book of John, and in Revelations, it says that John has this, this encounter with the Spirit. And it says that the Holy Spirit flings open the door of heaven so that John can see the throne of God. And it, it says that what, he, what John describes here, he says he sees the one sitting on the throne, brilliant as gemstones, and an emerald glow exceeds out from the throne for as far as the eye can see. And it says that flashes of lightning and rumbles of thunder come from the throne as thousands upon millions of angels sing out. And they sing, worthy is the Lamb, blessing and honor and glory and power belong to the one sitting on the throne forever and ever. In Luke, it tells us that armies of angels sing out to the name of the Lord. What John is telling us here, guys, is is that in heaven, the praise is eternal. It is all the time. It's just happening all the time. And what I'm saying now to you today is that we do not have to wait for heaven. Lord, we can be a part of that praise now, here on earth as it is in heaven, you guys. You guys, it is Christmas. It is Christmas We are celebrating the coming of our King, the Messiah, the one that came to save us. And guys, our city wants to hear us. They need to hear us. You guys, generations from now, generations from now, we want this church to be looked back on and for people to say that group of people in that city, in that church, knew how to worship, and they taught people how to worship. We're going to go. We're gonna sing this again, Phil. It was good the first time, you guys, but it's, it's got to be better the second time around, all right? I want to see every hand in the air. I want to, man, I have to preach after this. You guys get to be quiet. So you can just sit down. You got to sing your guts out. Swing wide, all you heavens. Let the praise go up as the walls come down. All of creation. Everything with breath. Repeat the sound. All right. With everything you guys have, I want to, it better, it better be loud, Phil. It better be loud. With everything you guys have, let's go. Whew. Man, I'm normally a pretty quiet guy, but I'm a little worked up this morning. Hey, I'll tell you right now, I've been awake at 4.30 for four days in a row, just excited about today, excited about this message. So I don't know if it's going to mean anything to you guys, it might not, but I tell you what, God's been working on something in me, and so maybe this is about me, I don't know, maybe it is, but man, I I think it's going to speak to you. So um, welcome to church. Hey, we are glad that you are here. We're glad that you're here to celebrate Christmas with us. This is our Christmas message. It might not seem that way, but like like, uh, Phil said, we're less is more, so we're pretty 
we're pretty low-key sometimes. So welcome to Church 214. For those that have not had the pleasure of meeting, my name is Kip. I serve as part of the leadership and teaching team here at Church 214. And as I said, man, I am jacked. I've been on a sabbatical for a couple months. I guess that's the right word. Um, my fall sabbatical, I tend to take a break in the fall, just recharge my batteries for those that know me probably. But um, yeah, yeah, catching deers, catching deers. So I'm super excited to be here. We are, can you believe it's almost Christmas? Like two days. Who's ready? Thank you. Thank you. We're ready for Christmas. Everybody have their Christmas gifts bought, I hope. Okay. All the parties are done. Do we have any more parties coming up? Yeah, we got some parties coming up. Yeah. How about, um, how about everybody got their cards sent out, like the Christmas cards, you know, the ones, the family, the family photo from this summer at the beach, and there's like 15 people on it all dressed the same, and then inside's like the two-page letter about all the stuff that God's been doing in your life this past year. Man, we got a bunch of those. We, in our windowsill in the kitchen where we do the dishes, we got, I, it, man, I'm going to be honest with you, it looks like we adopted like a Compassion International Village or something. There's so many... <laughs> kids staring back at me as I do the dishes, but man, keep sending those. We love them. My wife reads that stuff, so it's funny because it's true. No, I, I read some of it. <laughs> I still love everybody. Hey, how about decorations? Everybody have their decorations up? This is something that really kind of intrigues me. So I know that I've got some family members in here that get real excited about decorations. So I just want to get a pulse for who I'm working with here. So if you've had decorations up since December 15th, throw your hand up. December 15th. All right. Most everybody. That's good. It's getting a little late. A little late, but that's all right. How about December 1st. If you've had your decorations up since December 1st, good. That's good. That's like you're getting max amount of usage out of your decorations. If you do it then, it's not too late. It's not too early. How about like the two or three days after Thanksgiving? Yeah. See, just so you know, that is the official sanctioned time to put your decorations up. That's when we do it. That's when you should do it. Okay. I, I know I know there's, I know, that, how about before Thanksgiving? Really? Before Thanksgiving? Oh my goodness, I didn't realize we had that many psychopaths in this church. Wow. So, hey, don't worry about it. I mean, you did just like totally skip over one of my favorite holidays. Like, you guys are like, kids are back to school, let's get decorations out, forget Thanksgiving. It's all right. Jesus' grace is sufficient for you for skipping over one of my favorite holidays. Well, as Tay said, we've been in this series on Believe. And we started out, Heather started out, she gave an incredible message. She shared with us, among many things, that if we have a belief problem, that we might have an identity problem. And then the following week, my brother-in-law, Isaac Schaefer, he shared just a, an awesome illustration of this feedback loop of belief to faith and how what we believe encourages our faith, and then as we step out in faith, how that encourages our belief, and it's this, this just godly feedback loop. And it was a, an awesome illustration. I know it was powerful for me. I hope it was powerful for you. But then last week, we weren't able to, to be here, and 
Um, so the reason we weren't able to be here is because on Saturday night before church, um, we had been up with our oldest son all night long. And he had been sick for a number of days leading up to that weekend, and we were a little bit worried about him. You see, as, he, as an infant, he, he was born with what was called a clonic atresia, and so he actually had four surgeries as an infant. And we, we actually almost lost him a couple times. And so we were pretty in tune with the fact that any sort of abnormal, uh, abdominal pain um, is something that we should be, you know, concerned about. So we had been in touch with our doctor all week. And Saturday night, we were up all night. Sunday morning, um, we call him, and I'm like, hey, Terry, this is what's going on. And um, Terry's a very conservative doctor, and he's like, hey, um, I would feel most comfortable if you took Crosley to the ER this morning. So we packed up all of our stuff, and as we were getting ready to go to the ER, before we headed to the ER, we drove to church. And some of you are probably like, wait a minute, Kip, so you're telling me that your son who is sick, who had lots of surgeries, before you headed to the ER, upon the instructions of your physician, you decided to go to church first. You're darn right we did. And I think that that's something that may speak powerfully to somebody here today. You see, it is absolutely okay to believe in physicians and doctors and have faith in them that they have been given the skill sets to heal our bodies. But hear me out. Before any of that happens, man, if it's, whether it's serious or not, you got to be on your knees in prayer. So we came that morning, and before we headed to the ER, we knew that there was something powerful about a group of people in prayer lifting up Whatever it is, whether it's a health issue, a job issue, whatever. So we've had a team of people, an incredible worship team, leadership team, volunteers, and they just circled around Crosley and prayed over him. And they, they specifically prayed that when we would get to the hospital, that they would find nothing wrong. So we, we pack up, and we drove to the hospital. And when we get there, they started taking tests for Crosley. They, they did an x-ray. They did blood. They did urine. And as we're sitting there waiting for the test results to come back, he just sits up and he says, hey, guys, I feel fine. Now, mind you, he hadn't eaten hardly anything in days. He was asking for food. He had a smile back on his face. He had been doubled over in pain, crying, which is very unusual for him. And so before we even had the chance to get the results back, we called in the doctors and the nurses and we're like, hey, he says he's fine. Like, we have to believe him. He, he says he feels fine. And the doctors and the nurses said, hey, we don't have a problem sending him home. We got all the test results back. We see nothing the matter with him. And I think that that's just a tangible example for our church that, guys, man, we have to believe that what God says he's going to do in our lives, that he will do it. And I'm not standing here in front of you today saying that everything that you pray, it's going to happen that fast like it did with Crosley. But it was a tangible example in our lives that we were in this belief series. Isaac had just got done preaching the week before of walking out what our belief and our faith look like, and then it manifests itself in our son. So this week, we're going to be wrapping up our belief series. And from the day that our teaching team identified that this was going to be the series we're in, I knew that I was going to need to speak in this series. You see, I've been wrestling out some things in my own life, and I think that it's appropriate that we share them with you. And, and I've been having this, this dialogue with God of what it looks like, but when it was determined that I was going to be speaking on the Christmas message, um, I had this conflict going on because I was like, God, 
I feel like most people want to come to church on a Christmas weekend and hear a Christmas message. But I feel like you're leading me a different direction. I don't know how to reconcile these two things. And I was kind of conflicted about it. I'm like, how do I, how do I reconcile the direction that you're leading me and the direction that I feel like the people want to hear? And I spent a lot of time behind the wheel in my job driving from place to place. And so I was just kind of thinking about it and praying about it. And I heard God say to me, hey, Kip, what good is the Christmas story if we don't believe in the one that it's about? So here we are today. Today we're going to do something a little bit different, though, guys. Today I'm going to give a message, but it's going to be in the form of a story. It's a true story. It's a powerful story, I believe. A story about God pursuing me, and I think that you can put yourself in my shoes throughout this whole process. I think that you will identify with it, and I think that it will connect with you. It's a story about how we must trust him, how we must trust what's in his word, and that as we take chances with our faith, that he will prove himself faithful to us. You see, to understand the story, though, you have to understand some context. As I said, I've been working through some things in my spiritual life, which is to say my life, because don't we know it's true that there is not a difference between your life and your spiritual life? They are one and the same. And I've been having this escalated dialogue. We should all have dialogues with God. He can take your questions. He can take your doubts. He can take your skepticism. I've been having this escalated dialogue with God about whether or not my life reflects outwardly what I believe internally. Does it believe outwardly what I believe internally? My conversation with Jesus kind of just begins to escalate. I keep having this dialogue. I'm like, God, I, I believe all these things, but yet sometimes I get weirded out about other stuff. So how do I reconcile these two things? And then this word started coming up in my spirit. And the word was unbelief. You see, Can you really believe something internally and not work it out outwardly in your life? Can I believe this, but then when it comes to the rubber hitting the road, not actually doing anything about it? And so this word unbelief started coming up in my spirit, and I just finally was like, God, we got to work this out ASAP, because unbelief was a place that I did not want to be. So the story kind of goes like this. A few weeks ago, I came home from work, and I was catching up with Heidi in the kitchen. She was telling me uh, about her day, and she started telling me this story about a couple family members that are part of our team here at church that had gone to an encouragement session. Now, if you're newer to church, or maybe if you're not, you may not know what that means. And in fact, I would have been in that boat probably just a season or two ago. You see, regardless of whether you're familiar with an encouragement session or not, as she was explaining it to me, if I'm candid with you, just the name alone, I was like, yeah, I don't want to have anything to do with that. (laughs) Don't want to have 
anything to do with that. But simply put, an encouragement room or encouragement session is a time when you can go and have people with the gift of encouragement and prophecy. Yeah, maybe a couple of you recoiled a little bit. Like That's a pretty heavy word, right? Pray and encourage you. You may, may be thinking, Kip, I still don't understand what that means. Well, to be clear, the Bible is clear that there are some people that have been given the gift of prophecy. What does that mean? Well, gift is just a biblical term to say that they have a divine ability, that God has given them an ability to do something or to be able to see something in the spiritual. So don't get weirded out by that term. If you hear somebody say, I have a gift or they have a gift or whatever, don't get weirded out by that. It's just an ability, a God-given ability. And to be clear, the Bible has people that have this ability or this gift all through it. Uh, examples would be Moses and Elijah and Elisha and Jeremiah. And there's, there's women too. Ladies, I don't want to forget about you. But a prophet's primary function is to serve as a representative or ambassador of God to communicate specific truths, to the people of God. Does that make sense? A representative or ambassador of God to communicate specific truths to the people of God. And these truths can be specific to a person. They can be a general message about the future, or they can be warnings to groups of people. And to be clear, prophets exist today. There are men and women today that absolutely, certainly have the gift of prophecy. But here's the thing. Here's where I think a lot of us get caught up on this. See, I don't think anybody in this room would likely have or take issue to the fact that we individually hear from God. As we're praying in our prayer life and our devotions, we hear from God. The Holy Spirit leads us a certain direction. And that doesn't get people weirded out. What gets people weirded out is when somebody comes to somebody else and says, hey, I heard from God for you. That's when people get weirded out. And if I'm honest, that's where I would get weirded out. And the reason that I think, well, I don't want to get into the reasons quite yet. So as Heidi's finishing telling me the story, she's, she's going on. And to be clear, it was this incredible story. And I was, I was moved by it in, in all sorts of different ways. But as she's finishing up the story, I, before the words can even, like, go through my male husband brain, they just kind of come out, right? Has that ever happened to any of you guys? Before I can even, like, pull them back, I'm, I look at her dead in the face, and I say, that sounds awful. So she finishes the story, <clears throat> and I say, babe, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me get this straight. You expect me to believe that some mug can go sign up on some church's website for a 30-minute session with four random strangers, then on some random date drive unceremoniously over to the church's campus, Walk into the office, walk up some weird stairs probably, 
to some church offices, then go into some weird little cultish room where there's probably incense burning and weird piano church music playing and maybe weird lights and sit down. And then on demand, these people will just give you a word from God. To which I'm sure she was going to say, well, no, 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 no. She smiles and looks at me patiently and says, yes. I walked away from that conversation frustrated, confused. You see, I was just thinking, how can my wife, my wife, who's so smart and so discerning and so above hocus pocus believe this? How is that possible? You see, as a leader, as part of a team of this church, I know that I share this quality with everyone on our team. We want to be, we are desperately, we are committed to being transparent with those that we lead. And part of that transparency is being vulnerable and and showing the areas of our life where God is working on us, where he is leading us a direction that maybe we're uncomfortable with because I believe that that will increase your faith. If I were to just get up here and and pretend like I've never had any sort of skepticism or unbelief in my life, I don't know that that really encourages you when you get to that season of unbelief. I don't know about you, but there's been seasons in my life where I've pursued God at different levels. Has anybody had different seasons in their life where they're, they're pursuing God at different levels? There's been those seasons where God's speaking to me, and I'm just like, I'm coming, God. I'm coming. Wait for me. I know there's some in the church right now where they are just, they are getting a filling from the Holy Spirit, and they are just, they're just like, I don't care about the rest of you. I'm going after. The illustration comes to mind of, I don't know if you ever heard this illustration, that we should be covered in the dust of our rabbi. Has anybody ever heard that illustration? The illustration um, actually does not have a, a biblical reference. Um, the illustration, to, for those that don't know, so in Jesus' time, right, he was a rabbi. And so as a rabbi, they would go from town to town teaching, and they would get to a town, and they would teach for a little bit, and then they would move on to the next town. And their disciples would follow them. And while they were on the roads going from town to town, that is when the the, the disciples had an opportunity to ask questions of their teacher. Hey, what about this? What about that? And the rabbi would go first, walking down the dusty road, and the disciples would follow along behind him. And, of course, there's no pavement, right? So there are dusty roads. And with the disciples being behind them, you know, the, the illustration is, is that they would get covered in dust. And so the, the, the point is, is that we should be following Jesus so closely, listening to every word that he has, listening as the Holy Spirit is teaching us different things about our faith, that we should be covered in the dust as we walk from town to town. For those that are curious, the teaching actually comes from the Mishnah, and it, the Mishnah is a collection of thoughts from about 200 AD, or excuse me, BC to 200 AD. And these collection of thoughts actually still form much of the Jewish traditions and religion. But the verse itself actually comes from Avit 1.4. And it says, powdering thyself in the dust of their feet. 
So that's what we should be doing. We should be following after Jesus. We should be literally getting covered in dust. We're following him so closely. And I, uh, to be honest with you, absolutely. There's been seasons in my life where, where that has been me. And I'm sure it's been you. But then there's been other seasons in my life where, eh, right? The Holy Spirit's saying, hey, Kip, Kip, what about this? What about that? Where are we going here? What are we doing here? And this is often a season where I'm somewhat reluctant. I don't know, Jesus. I hear you, but I'm not so sure about that. And eventually, the Holy Spirit gets a hold of me and says, no, this is the direction we're going. And I'm usually like, yeah, 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 yeah. But I have a question first. (laughs) And Jesus is like, hey, that's what the trip is about. Follow behind me. Ask the questions. I will absolutely answer them. But then there's the third season. The third season. The third season is when God's taking you a certain direction, and you're like, "Uh, I don't want to go, God. I don't want to go. Nope. Uh Uh-uh. Ain't happening. No way. The illustration that comes to mind, I don't know if you have a cat or if you've ever had a cat. We had a cat growing up. I don't like cats now. I don't really like pets, period. If you have pets, I'll pretend to like them when I come over, but whatever. <laughs> the, the, we, we, we had a cat. It was an outdoor cat, so I don't know why we used to do this. We had an outdoor cat, so we would bathe it on a cage. It's like, why are you bathing a cat? It's an outdoor cat. Leave it outside. But we would bathe this cat, and you, so you would fill up the tub with water, and you'd grab this cat try to put it in the tub. It's like, You've seen the cartoon, right? You with the cat going in the water. It's just like, not happening, not happening, not happening. That's me. That's me as it relates to the encouragement room. <laughs> not happening, God. Not happening. Well, as we continued to have this conversation, God and I, he continued to come back to that unbelief. He continued to narrow in on that unbelief, and conviction started to enter my heart. And then as I was kind of preparing for this message, I came across a verse that changed my outlook on this, what can only be described as a situation. (laughs) Do you know what the Bible says about truth? Or excuse me, it says about unbelief? Better yet, do you know what Jesus says about unbelief? He says it's a sin. John 16, 9, for the world's sin is its unbelief in me. And that hit me, and I was like, I don't cry often, but man, at that day, I was like, Jesus, I can have no room for unbelief in my life. And then I heard him say, okay, Kip, that's the first step. Let me ask you this. Are you uncomfortable because you appear uncomfortable? I said, yeah, Jesus, I'm uncomfortable in a whole lot of ways. He said, hey, if you're not uncomfortable, are you really growing spiritually? Do you really believe what you claim to believe? If you're not uncomfortable, then you're comfortable, which means you're complacent most likely. And so those words just kind of 
stewed in my spirit. I was forced with having this spiritually honest conversation with myself. And man, can I tell you, those are tough conversations. They are tough, tough conversations. Jesus was asking me to to press in further, to trust him, to take a chance on being uncomfortable. To give him the opportunity to reveal himself to me in a new and powerful way. And so, as is the case with these conversations, I came to Heidi a few days later and I said, Honey, let's sign up for the room. (laughs) I was a, a cat going into the tub, so I figured I might as well plug my nose Cover my eyes because I was going in one way or the other. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. I was, it's not that I wasn't conflicted about it still. You see, there were two options that were going to happen in my mind. Either I was going to go to this encouragement session, and it was going to potentially be what I was praying against it to be. Hear me. I was praying that it was going to be the opposite of what my human expectation was because I desperately did not want it to be that I would get there and I would go to this room with incense and weird Christian piano music and the lights dimmed and this kind of overly spiritual like person look at me and go, Uh, Kip, Jesus loves you. Yeah, he does. Uh, And um, I feel like you've been hurt before. Yeah, you're two for two, bro. (laughs) And um, he wants to have a deeper relationship with you. Really? I drove all the way over here for this? Like, that's what I was praying it wouldn't be. I did not want my skepticism to be reinforced. I mean, I I cannot tell you how hard I was praying, Jesus, may this be the most authentic experience that you could possibly ever give me so that my faith would be increased. Because I'll be honest with you, and I don't know if if I can't say this, you can just scrub it from the podcast, but if I went and it was like the first experience that I just described, my BS meter would have been pegged all the way to the red, and I probably would have got up and walked out. I'm not saying that for shock value. I'm just saying it that, man, we've all seen this done poorly, right? You've seen it done poorly, even if you didn't recognize it. The guys that are like, hey, the world's going to end on this day. Hey, bro, Not even the sun knows the day. That's a bold prediction to put your day and a time on it when not even the sun or the angels know when the day is coming that the world will end. And so that's bold, man, because what happens when that day comes and goes? Better find a new gig. (laughs) But if I went and they read my mail and they new things about me that only my wife and God could know. That's what I was praying for. Church, the question I have for us today is, 
what areas in our life have we given belief to something other than God? What areas in our life are we believing a doctor to heal us before we're on our knees in prayer that God can heal us? What areas of our life are we believing the words of a, of a supervisor or a manager or a boss at work over the words about us that are in Scripture? What areas, how about this? What political party are we believing in to save this country when instead we should be here? Are we robbing God of the faith that rightly belongs to him? Are we robbing God of the faith that rightly belongs to him? You see, team, we didn't randomly pick John, the book of John, for this Believe series. You see, John goes to great lengths to prove the deity of Jesus, which is to say that he was the Son of, man, son of God, that he was the Savior, that he was the Messiah. John goes to great lengths to prove that. And he goes so far to prove it that he actually includes the word believe 43 times in the book of John alone. 43 times John over and over, believe, believe, believe. And in chapter 3 of John, we see the most famous use of the word believe in all the Bible. You see, at the beginning of chapter 3, we encounter this man, Nicodemus. Nicodemus, if you're not aware, was a Jewish leader and a Pharisee. He was someone who was an expert in the Jewish law. He would have been one of the most educated men in all of Jerusalem at the time. And he was also part of the Sanhedrin, which was essentially the religious and, and governmental body over the Jews at that time in Jerusalem. And he would have been part of the group of people responsible for investigating the claims of Jesus. And in chapter 3, we see Nicodemus come to Jesus in the night shortly after the cleansing of the temple episode. So this is when Jesus had the whip and he, he expels all the people from the temple for the merchants and the money changers. And Nicodemus would have been both aware and, and likely maybe even saw some of the miracles of Jesus. And so he comes to Jesus in the night and he says, Rabbi, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. But here's the thing. Nicodemus had unbelief. He wanted to believe, but here he is pressing into Jesus. Hey, man, I've been taught all this other stuff, but yet you say that you are the Son of God. You say you are the Messiah. You say that no one comes through the Father but through you. I have some unbelief. And so... Jesus senses this, and he starts responding to Nicodemus right away and starts to encourage him. And he tells Nicodemus that no one can come through the Father but through him. And he tells Nicodemus, hey, you must be born again. And Nicodemus is acting all obtuse. And Nicodemus is like, oh, Jesus, what do, you, what do you mean? You're born again? You can't enter your mother's womb again. Jesus responds, you are a respected Jewish teacher, and yet you don't understand these things. 
I assure you, we tell you all that we know and have seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you do not believe in me, I t how, if you do not believe the earthly things I tell you, then how can you believe the things of heaven? For no one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven, and as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Jesus is predicting his own crucifixion here, guys. And in verse 16, it goes on to what is maybe the most quoted piece of scripture in all the Bible. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And there it is. Whoever believes in him believes probably the most important believe of all the 43 in that book. Jesus, help us with our unbelief. Convict us of our unbelief. Help us know in our hearts, Lord, deep, deep down that you are the Messiah, that you are the King, that you are the one who came to save the world. We have no room for unbelief in our life, you guys. I'm going to ask the band to come up as I close. So you may be asking yourself, well, Kip, what happened in the encouragement room? Well, I can tell you this. I was right about a few things, and I was wrong about a lot. I sat on a small couch in this small room holding my wife's hand. And I choked back tears as God beat back unbelief in my life. I sat there and I watched as four perfect strangers, you guys, read my mail. Guys, all they knew about me was my name. I don't really have that big of a social media presence, so they probably weren't Googling me to figure this stuff out. We sat there, and they, they prayed quietly, and then they started sharing one after the other after the other. And as we got to the last young man, probably 10 years, my junior, he had a, a quiet, gentle spirit about him. And he just looked at me, and he said, Kip, when I hear from God, what I hear is that you are a worshiper, that God speaks to you through worship, that you speak to God in worship, you are passionate about worship, and he said, what I see is, is that God has anointed you to teach people how to worship. And guys, can I tell you that for those that know me, that could not have been more spot on. You see, as a team, 
we believe, and, and you likely believe this too, that when you've come out of a season of, when you come out of a, a season or a period where you've struggled with something or you've experienced something and God has released you from that, you have authority over that. And I grew up in great churches, you guys. Lots of people there that loved the Lord, that loved Jesus. But there was absolutely a spirit of legalism in these churches. Worship looked like this. Can I tell you, church, that is not what worship looks like. Hear me, hear me, hear me. Hear my heart in this. I want to be super, super clear. We're going to wrap up here in a minute. Don't check out on me. Hear me when I say this. There are all types of worship. There are all sorts of physical ways that worship manifests itself. It's not this, you guys. You know why I know that? Because the one thing that all worship has, regardless of how it manifests itself, the thing that all worship has is a humble heart that is so grateful and passionate about Jesus that it cannot help but to just explode out of you. Hear me, guys. Hear me. This is me speaking to myself as much as it is you. I'm going to ask our team. I had a good friend a couple weekends ago. I asked her, hey, could you do me a favor? Can you, during worship, can you take some pictures of our church? And I, I want to put this about. Hear me, guys. This is a teaching moment. You know how I was talking about sometimes spiritually honest conversations are difficult? This is a spiritually honest conversation where you need to dig in. Don't lock down. Don't shut down. Let's go ahead and put those pictures up, you guys. Now, I don't know if you were here, but I want you to try to find yourself. And if you can't find yourself, I want you to picture yourself. And I want you to think about it. Dig in. Do I look like someone who appreciates a king, a messiah, a savior that gave everything for me? Do I look like somebody that will recklessly abandon my pride, what others might think of me? Oh, he's weird. She's weird. They're putting their hands in the air. Can I tell you what that is? Can I tell you what putting your hands in the air is? It's not, it's not a random act, you guys. It's saying, Jesus, I give you everything, all my pride, all my troubles, everything within me I give to you. I'm laying it at the feet of Jesus. That is the act. That is what it looks like. Church, we're going to do something here. I want everybody to stand up. I want you to do me a favor. I want you to take your hands. I want you to flip them over. I want you to look at your palms. What do you see? Look at them. What do you see? 
Do you see somebody who has been fearfully and wonderfully made? Do you see the hands of someone that wants more of Jesus? In Psalms it says, David tells us, I will praise your name because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Look at your hands. Now I want you to think about this. You know what Jesus sees when he looks at his hands? He sees the hands that were pierced for you and for me. He sees when he looks at you and he looks at me, the one that he would leave the 99 for and pursue you and bring you back to him. I want you to close your eyes. Keep your hands open. Do you want more of Jesus? Do you want your life filled with the grace and the mercy of Jesus? Maybe you don't know Jesus. Maybe you're new today. Maybe you've never been in church. Man, can I tell you, we can change that right now. It's easy. All you have to say is, Jesus, I need you. I need all of you, only you, Jesus. Forgive me, Jesus. I believe that you are the Son of God, that you came, that you died, and that you were resurrected for me, Jesus. It's that easy. If you want more of Jesus, I want you to put a hand up. As high as it'll go, raise it all the way up. Hands all throughout this place. I want it all the way up. Do you want unbelief purged from your life? There is no room for unbelief, you guys. The Bible tells us, Jesus tells us, that unbelief is a sin. There is no room for unbelief. Let my story, I hope my story today, connected with you. There is no room for unbelief, you guys. If you want no room, no relic of unbelief in your life, I want you to take the other hand and put it up. Both hands, as high as they go. Now open your eyes, church. I want you to look around. This is a posture of worship. This is what the armies of angels look like in heaven, you guys. Hands up, heads bowed. Everything with everything, you guys. There is no room to leave anything else. We are here today to celebrate the birth of Jesus, the coming King, the Messiah. But can I tell you, church, let me, we know this to be true. I'm going to wreck your world a little bit here. Keep the hands up. I want every hand up, you guys. If you get tired, too bad. The Christmas story doesn't mean anything without the cross, you guys. Without the cross, it was an unmarried woman and a baby daddy in a barn somewhere. It's the cross that makes the difference, you guys. So in a moment, we're going to sing out. Phil's going to lead us in the band. is going to lead us in a couple songs, you guys. I want you to give it your all. Give everything. This city needs to hear you. They want to hear you on Christmas, you guys. Give it everything you have. Sing deep down from your soul. And if you can't think of the words and you don't know the words, you just groan it out. 
just groan it out, you guys. I want to hear it out. We're going to, here we go. All right, are we ready? You guys, with everything, let's keep those hands up. Let's worship like you've never worshiped before. Let's do it. 